Last weekend, um, we started the year talking about prayer, and then we went into this week focused on what that looks like for us. And so we did several online options with devos at, at night, and we had two great mornings of prayer here, and um, very well attended, and I just want to thank you for your participation uh, to come out in the mornings. You brought your children here, so I know you got them up, got them ready, got them to prayer, and uh, I just want to thank, thank you for that. Can we put our hands together just for a great week of prayer around this place? Yeah, I hope, I hope that you have incorporated something in your home all week about, about prayer. And so it was just a really good week. This weekend, we start a series called Real Change. And in this series, we're going to focus on what it takes to experience complete freedom in Christ, okay? And so some of you maybe feel stuck or you feel like you haven't grown in a very long time. And so we're going to talk really boldly about, about this topic over the next several weeks. And I believe personally that since we're born into sin, we are obviously very susceptible to a sinful nature, okay? And uh, a lot of times, many may refer to this as our human nature, and this can be defined as common traits among humanity that at many times are unwanted, okay? So we all do certain thoughts, actions, or behaviors. We're very similar with them. We all tend to have the same struggle. Our race looks uh, similar in some ways, and a lot of the things that we may experience, especially spiritually, are unwanted, you know, and, and so we are very susceptible to a sinful nature. Human nature, if I try to think of an example, and this is what I've come up with. It may not be a good one. Hello. And so <laughs> that wasn't it, but that was a great cue, okay? <laughs> um, Having a bad tire on your vehicle, okay? And so I, I want you to think about this. A few months ago, we had a bad tire on Robbie's car, and we just couldn't figure it out. It was, it was like a slow leak, okay? And so it was like the vehicle was great. Everything was working on it. It got her from place to place. Everything was, was fine everywhere else, but it was like this one irritation. It was like every couple of days, you had to find a station and, and, and ask for air. And so um, over and over and over, and we just couldn't find it. And so we'd fill it up, and it, it would leak. And we'd fill it up, and it would leak. And, and spiritually, I know this, this is very, very deep theology, so bu buckle up. Um, we leak, okay? We spiritually leak. Okay, so we can go and have a great time in God and be full and be in, in the Word, have a great service, have a great night of worship. And by Wednesday or Thursday... You've leaked, okay, and, and you're wanting more. I know, I know, it's, it's very complicated. And so we get in this rut of, of going through cycles of these highs and lows spiritually. And so when we have this tire, this low tire, man, it's, it's an aggravation, and it frustrates us because it's like everything else in our world works. It's like we've grown up, we, have, we are responsible, we got families, we're trying to raise good kids. We're trying to do the right thing. We're serving. We're giving. We're attending. We're worshiping. But we got that one thing that we seem like we can't get free from. 
And you would be amazed at the amount of people who are in their 40s and 50s still trying to be free from something that was set in motion from their 20s. It latches on to us, a sinful nature. It latches on to us, it latches on to our spirit, it latches on to our mentality, the way we think about life, our worldview, the way we react to each other, the way we, we respond to God. And it's like we really struggle to get free from that one thing. And I want you to start thinking about that. What is that thing in my life that seems like I'm constantly revisiting in prayer, like I just can't get through, I can't make it break? And even though you may grow in other areas, you may be digressing in this one area. And it, you can't get traction. And it's like no matter how much you read or study or pray about it or fast about it, it's like it won't break for you. Okay, Those are the things that I want to talk about in this series. So I, I want to talk this morning about this, and that is that Jesus cares a lot about you and I being completely free. He wants us to live a life of abundance, and he wants us to experience it maximized. He wants us to have an optimal experience in this life as we look forward to an eternity. He wants us well so that we can turn around and introduce health to other people. Spiritual health, mental health, physical health, that we can talk about our entire existing, existence being an overflow. And so let's look at, at some scripture. I'm going to use you again this morning to read this. So when I point to you guys, I want you to finish it, okay? I, I, I want you to finish reading this. So let's go to John chapter 8, verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will... Great. Let's try that one more time. Okay. For the hundred of you that didn't participate. Here we go. You will know the truth and the truth will. There you are. John 8, 36, just four verses later. If the sun sets you free, you are free. Okay. Let's go to Galatians chapter five. This is Paul writing. He says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened. I lost you, but there it is. To be burdened, watch this, again by a yoke of slavery. Okay? He's saying this to this church. He's like, listen, there is going to be some freedom come to your life because you have given it over to Christ. But if you are not careful, you will revisit those things. One author says, like, like a dog returns to vomit. How bad is that? Okay. He said, that's what it's like for you to come into a life with Christ and then go right back to doing what you were doing. To go right back to thinking about the way that you were thinking. To not really be totally free. Just enough free to be miserable. All right? 
And so it's very important. He said, listen, you're going to know the truth, and it's going to make you free. And if I set you free, you are free indeed. Do not go back to a yoke of slavery. The Galatians had, had a lot of farming in their area. They knew exactly what a yoke meant. They knew it was heavy. They knew it was burdensome. And they got this analogy very well. They were like, I know I do not want to go back to something that is heavy and something that is burdensome. Yet here we are thousands of years later in the same pattern because we are all, since Adam, susceptible to the sinful nature. So here's the question I hope to answer this morning. If God wants me free, why am I not free? If God really wants me free, if there's freedom in Christ and I can have it and I can have access to it, why am I really not free? Why am I free in 99.9% of my life, but I've got that one thing? Why can't I really get free in this area of my life? And so I'm going to give you some talking points this morning. The first one is this. You're not free because you don't have the presence of God. The presence of God, right? And I, I don't want this to seem shallow to you. I don't want this to fly right over you because you think it's so, so simple. How much time are you really spending in the presence of God? Because I know for us, as far as a church, a collective audience, you're looking at one hour a week. How, how much more time are you getting into the presence of God? Are you doing it daily? Is your worship life active beyond this 20 minutes that we give you here? Where is the presence of God and the level of that presence of God in your life on a daily basis? Is it even present? Okay, now let me give you a story here. In Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to show you part of this, but I can't read all of it. It's so long, but I'm going to give you a backstory. In Acts chapter 6, 16, rather, and in, in beginning in verse 16 through 21, the basic backstory is this. There's a slave girl, and she has a spirit of divination, and she's using it to tell future events. And the people who own her, so to speak, are making money off of this spirit that's at work in her life. And she's following Paul and Silas around, mocking them. Finally, Paul gets sick of it, and he rebukes her and casts this spirit out, and the men who were making money off her are now mad because her gift is gone. And so they seize them, and they bring them to the authorities. And we pick up here in verse 22, and this is where I want to read from from the Word. I'm reading from the NIV. This is what it says. The crowd joined in. The attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Okay, that alone is embarrassing. Verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Verse 24. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet with stocks. And about midnight... Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, 
There was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And at once, watch this, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains were loose. Now, a sub-sermon here would be that if you will worship, the presence of God will come and affect everybody, even those not participating. It's infectious. Okay, So verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought everyone had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. Watch this, very, very important. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved. Now, surprisingly, I'm not going to talk to you about, about worship right here. What I am going to talk to you about is, is, is this on this point. The presence of God makes us responsible. Why do you think everybody, a, a prisoner, I want you to think about this, in the jail, suddenly is not bound and their door is open. How many prisoners do you know who would not make a dash? But all of them stood still. They stayed put. Why? Because the presence of God was so strong, they knew exactly what was right and what was wrong. The presence of God on our lives makes us responsible to our actions and our thoughts and our behaviors and on that 1% of your life that you can't seem to get a wrangle on. It shows you what's going on and the presence of God illuminates the circumstance and says right now you need to be responsible to the things in your life. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. Years ago, Robbie and I were asked to pastor a church just north of Dallas, and I sat there with a group of, of elders, and we were talking one Saturday morning, and I could not get peace about going there. I just could not give, get peace. And even though it's like a part of me wanted to, like I saw the potential of, of that area, and I was like, man, it'd be just great to have a life-giving church right here I could not get, get peace about it. And so I walk in on that Saturday morning, and I basically say, you know, guys, listen, I'm just conflicted. I'll be honest with you. I'm just torn. I can't. I'm just wrestling with this. And they saw the torment on my face. And one of, of the elders spoke up with a lot of wisdom. He said, Kevin, what, what does God tell you when you get in his presence about this? And I said, he tells me not not to come. And he had me stand up, and they just laid hands on me and prayed and said, we just bless your ministry. Thank you, but we've heard from God, and you have too. The presence of God creates a lot of responsibility in our lives. When we get into the presence of God, we see the big picture. We know, we see clearly the one thing that we're still bound to. Last year for Christmas, I, I believe it was, maybe a little bit before, my wife got a book. And it was by Emily Lay. Okay? How many of you have read this book? Okay, none of you. That's good. 
The book, basically, in three words, is this. Clean your mess. Okay? So she was fired up. She's like, we're going to do this the whole week of Christmas. Really? really? Like, the, like the whole week. Yeah, we're going to go room to room in our house, and we're going to organize everything. That sounds like an amazing Christmas week, honey. <laughs> And the goal was basically this. You get everything out. Everything comes out of drawers. Everything comes out, out of, of, of your closet. And you look at it and you say, what do I actually use? What can I gift? What can I sell? What can I trash? And I filled, uh, I, I got an old Chevy, long wheelbase Chevy truck. And we filled that thing with trash bag after trash bag after trash bag. It's amazing how many spatulas you can collect over 20 years of marriage. I mean, you open the drawer, it's like a whole chest of spatulas. And the point here is, is this. You do that with great intentionality. That when you really start going through your life and opening every closet and every drawer and turning all the lights on in your soul, you see what's really going on. This is what the presence of God does for us. It shows us the big picture. It lets us look clearly and see this is an area you are not growing in. The reason we always have worship is not because we can sing. It's because the Bible tells us that God lives in the praises of his people. And so what we want is the presence. And in his presence, he brings everything that you and I need into the room, into the atmosphere. He brings it. So if you need joy, guess what? He's bringing it. If you need peace, he's bringing it. If you need freedom, he's bringing it. But we have to reach out and seek him. And so we do that through worship and his presence comes and he brings the freedom that we desperately need. The second thing, we do not have freedom because we do not have the power of God. The power of God. A lot of us, when we talk about power of God, you think we're going to talk about spooky things. You think we're going to talk about something that you saw on TBN 10 years ago. Come on, y'all, right? And the fact that I've told you many times I was raised in a Pentecostal church really makes you nervous. Oh, God, here Kevin goes again, talking about the power of God. He's going to take his jacket off and start sweating and throwing it on people. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, we see an incredible story. 11 through 19, this is what it said. I want to read it to you. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried to the sick. Don't you think about how amazing this is? Their diseases left them. Evil spirits came out of them just by having a handkerchief that his skin had touched. That's full of the power of God. And so some of the Jewish exorcists took to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you, or that, that basically means I swear to you, okay, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, verse 14, and seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, okay, the seven sons of Sceva. But the evil spirit answered, and watch this, tell me how creepy this is, Jesus I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? I'd have left right then. i got to be honest with you. I'd have just backed out of, of, of the room. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. 
mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. He beat them out of their clothes. Okay, this is a huge embarrassing moment. I used to preach this scripture with with the scripture about Elijah praying seven times for rain and Naaman dipping seven times in the Jordan and these guys, and I called it the seven trippers, the seven dippers, and the seven strippers. I mean, I'm preaching that next Sunday. I'm just kidding. When you compare this story to Mark chapter 5, Okay, now watch this. Mark chapter 5, Jesus shows up into a city, and there's a man there, get, get this, living in a cemetery. And all day long, the Bible says, he cries out and cuts himself with stones. I mean, he's just tormented. And he could not be shackled. He was so full of strength by these spirits. And Jesus walks up to him and says, what's your name? And he replies back, you all know it, legion, for we are many. Okay. Now, if you're not well-versed in this, this is a reference to a Roman military term. A legion was a group of soldiers. Get this, 5,000 soldiers. Is it possible that he was saying, in me are 5,000 spirits? And they begin to beg of him, do not make us leave this area. Do not make us go. This is the funnest. Mark chapter 5 is a fun message to preach. So what Jesus does is something wild. He casts them into pigs, and all the pigs lose their mind and run off a cliff and die. Okay, now what I want to talk about sometime is that farmer. (laughs) Like he was probably like, Wait a minute. <laughs> what happened here? All my pigs lost their mind and ran off the side of, of this cliff. But when you compare what happened with the sons of Sceva, who were basically saying, by the, by the Jesus that Paul proclaims, come out, and Jesus saying, what's your name? Go into those pigs. There's a huge difference in the outcome. Here it is. Jesus was full of power. The sons of Sceva were full of themselves. you got to have more than words. It's got to be more than a declaration. It's got to come from the source. And so when our lives are void of the power of God, that thing, that one thing in your life can not only survive, but it'll thrive. It'll grow. It'll spawn. It will start to bleed into other areas of your life because you have not let the power of God flood your life and rid it. Okay? Third, I got to hit this. You're not free because you don't have a profession of Jesus Christ. By this, I mean to claim the name of Jesus over everything in your life. There is great authority in the name of Jesus. And we don't preach this near often enough, but this separates us from the unbeliever. It's knowing whose authority I'm under and whose authority I'm using. 
And sometimes you got to speak that name over the things happening in your own life. Because they're running wild. It's a thought you can't get a hold of. It's a behavior you can't seem to break. It's a craving. It's, it's lust. It's, it's a lie. And you just can't get rid of it. you got to use the name of Jesus and proclaim it over your life. I don't know if you remember the story of Samson, but there was a big truth out of, out of this. In the end... They have taken Samson's eyes out. They've cut his hair. His hair is gone. And he is basically working a mill. He's just walking in circles all day long, grinding. And the Philistines are making fun of him. Here's the biggest thing to come out of that that story. If the enemy can bind you to something, he will blind you to everything. If he can bind you to that one thing that that you can't get rid of in your life, he will blind you to everything else. That that 1% of your soul that is broken and bound and under tension, that one thing is like leaven and it will run its course through your entire being. Suddenly the zeal is gone. Suddenly you don't want to serve, you don't want to give, you're skipping weekends, you just being with the people of God is no longer attractive to you. That one thing will work its way through your entire being. You're blind to it. You're blind to everything else because you're bound in that one thing. Suddenly you don't see the needs of, of your family. Why? Because you're thinking so much about that one thing. You can't see that you're being unprofessional at work. You can't see how valuable your marriage is. You can't see how fast your kids are growing up. Why? Because you're bound to that thing and you can't get free. There is nothing, hear me, there is nothing in your life that has more authority than the name of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing in your life has more authority and weight than the name of Jesus. Of, of Jesus. And the fourth thing, and then I'll close with this. We're not free because we don't have the procurement of purpose. What I mean by that word procurement is, is obtaining. We have not obtained yet a purpose. It still amazes me how many people can cross the line at 40 and not know who they are. Just be, be lost. And, and, and you think, how, how have you gone four decades of life and not come to some resolve about God's hand on your life? And what you'll discover if you do some digging is that that person will share with you that they have been listening to lies They have been marked by a circumstance that happened a long time ago. And they think that they are a victim of that circumstance. And therefore they have to stay a victim. Or someone did not value them. Therefore, they wear a label 
over their life that says and thinks and constantly tells them, you don't have any worth. So don't make relationships. Don't fall in love. Don't put yourself out there. Don't let a church hurt you. Don't let God hurt you. And they listen to those things. They don't have procurement of purpose. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to, to Tampa Bay, and I went to the Tropicana Dome one night to watch the Rays play the Yankees. The Yankees were one of my favorite baseball teams. I know that hurts some of your feelings, but... At this particular time, Derek Jeter was on that team. Thank you. <laughs> Incredible athlete. And it just so happened that all the Tampa Bay fans bought all their tickets, so we ended up right on top of the Yankee dugout. And so we got to watch, you know, these guys come out who were just, you know, incredible athletes. Jeter came out because I was on the third baseline. I mean, shortstop was right there. and The agility and speed at which they're tossing that ball around is amazing. And, and watching the game on, on TV doesn't do it justice. And you can take Derek Jeter's glove. And man, if you think about him signing it and handing it to a kid, and that kid like... This is Derek Jeter's glove. And what you find is this. That kid goes home. He puts that glove on. Gets out in the yard and his dad starts throwing the ball. And he drops it. Picks it up. Throws it back to his dad. Maybe he takes that awesome glove out to show his buddies. And they're catching. He's just dropping balls, missing balls. And he thinks to himself, this is Derek Jeter's glove. It's broken. Why can't I... Why can't I play like Derek Jeter? Because this glove is only worth the hand that's in it. I can take this glove. Maybe this is a $50 glove. I borrowed it. 50 bucks. And in my hand, it's worth $40. You let Derek Jeter slide it on. Man, the hand that's in it makes a big change, right? Here's the point I'm trying to make. If God takes his hand from us, you and I will fall to nothing. You can be gifted and talented and smart and beautiful and have a lot of physical traits that people are attracted to. But without the presence and the power and the procurement of purpose and, 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 and the proclaiming of the name of Jesus over your life, we are just that. Flesh and bone that has temporary giftedness. But you let God put his hand on you. It'll change your life forever. If we really let God turn all the lights on and open all the closets and open all of those drawers and with great intentionality say, God, I got this one thing and I cannot be free from it, but I want to be. I want complete freedom, real change in my life. He will put his hand into your life 
if you want a biblical example. David learned this early on. I believe if he was here this morning, he would say this. He would say, there's no way that I can kill lions and bears and giants without the hand of God on my life. And he would say, there was a season when I, when I decided, you know, God, I think I've got this. People are singing my praises in the streets. I'm a great warrior. I got skills. People love me. I've turned this whole community around. And God said, all right, if you think you got it, David. And we see one of the biggest biblical failures set in. This is why David, in his repenting prayer, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 11, he says, Do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Meaning this, God, if you leave me, I know the outcome. But when, you're, when you've got your hand on me, my simple life becomes something spectacular because your hand is on me. Let me end with this. I hope this encourages you. So look, look at Genesis. God spoke everything into existence except you and I. When I think about this often, if I'm by myself, it brings tears to my eyes because I think it was great intentionality. God said, let there be light and let, let there be a firmament and let there be, let, let, let there be fish in the sea and fowl in the air. But when it came to you, he said, no, 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 I'm going to put my hand on them. And he formed you. And at some point in my, in my mind, he brings us close and he breathes into us. Genesis 2, verse 7, he breathes into us the breath of life. And the Bible says at that point, man became a living soul. Here, here's here's the, the bottom line with that. You have God's thumbprint all over your life. Every good and perfect thing in you right now is because his thumb is on you. Because his hand is on you. This, hear me, because some of you need, need, need to hear this. This is who you are. You could say it this way. This is whose you are. The thumbprint of God is all over your life. And if you ever find out who you are, everything that binds you is in trouble. Because if Satan can keep you discouraged and distracted and worried and paranoid and paralyzed, then his world is great. But once you discover that you are more than a conqueror, it changes your entire life. And for a lot of you, this is your story. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you said, Kevin, I, I have... I have prayed a prayer of repentance. I've asked the Lord into my life. I've been baptized. But there's that, there's that thing in my life. There's that, there's that irritation. That thought I can't get over, that action I can't get over. I can't get this part of my life. You need the presence of God, the power of God, the proclamation of Jesus, and the procurement of purpose in your life. And let it flood over that and rid you and bring you to true freedom.
Amen? This is what I want this morning. I want you to stand with me all across the room, everybody in the house. And I want you with great reverence for this moment just to bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to talk to some hearts this morning.